When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 842 on your Wednesday morning. We put this time aside every week because this guy, as they're always saying, in my lifetime, and if God's good to me, I'll be 56 in April. Right there with Rudy Giuliani as the best politician in the history of New York, spending the better part of four decades out on Long Island, doing an amazing job, homeland security, all of it, and now a major, and I mean major, superstar on WABC between this show John Katzmatidi's show, and his posts every week leading up to this appearance, pictures of me and him in the past, pictures of me, him, and Bernie, and all the comments he makes, absolutely hilarious. So with that said, here he is, the great congressman, Peter King. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Sid, and congratulations on Jeremy Lounge. By all accounts, you are a, uh, a superstar in so many ways. You're like you're the Renaissance man. You're thank the you. Jewish God. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. The movie is uh, pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, watching it and watching yourself on a major motion picture is pretty surreal, Pete, but that was a lot of but fun you know, on Monday night. The thing is, every time you talk about it, Curtis gets involved. I've had it with that guy. He was actually there at the screening on Monday night. I don't, I don't know how he got there, but he was there. I let everybody in. I know they really do. So, Peter, let's get to the um, yeah. the major story, uh, and that is, of course, uh, what happened in, in yesterday's New York Post. On the cover of the New York Post, they showed the latest crime statistics, and every one of them yeah. was up, and some of them were up significantly. So, I go to work every day, making an argument for the mayor. He'll be on this show, I believe, Friday, because I know how hard he works, and I know he cares. But between the legislators and the governor up in Albany and some other issues and the fact that maybe, maybe he hasn't been aggressive enough, things aren't changing for the better in New York City. What did you think of yesterday's New York Post? No, it's pretty devastating. It shows how bad the situation is. As you know, I think Eric Adams is trying to do the best. I have some uh, improvements I think can be made. I have a great regard for Keyshawn Sewell, the police commissioner. And the rank and file NYPD are the best in the world. Having said that, where I think the mayor is not doing enough is going after the governor and the state legislature and the city council. I know he needs them for funding for other programs and all that. But to me, there's nothing more important than stopping violent crime. They're getting down there and saying what has to be done. And the fact is that the governor goes, you know, gives lip service. He makes a cosmetic change to bail reform. The legislature digs in harder than ever. The city council is like the Politburo. I mean, this is different. In the past, I can remember talking to Bill Bratton. He said, no matter how bad things we get in New York in the past, you knew the district attorneys were on your side. Well, now they're not. You knew the city council would be on your side. Now they're not. The state legislature was always uh, somewhat reasonable. They were pragmatic. Now they're not. So really, it has to be the police department and the mayor basically taking on the state and the city council and the DAs, except for Mike McMahon in the uh, Staten Island. I mean, the fact is that it really is time to take off the uh, gloves and really get down to you know bare knuckle fighting on this and say that people are dying, people are being mugged, people are afraid to come to New York because of the uh, the, you know, the, the 
the feeling of lawlessness is there. I know murders are down. I know they're taking guns off the street. All that is important. But they got to have to go beyond that because when you just see the people walking up and down the street. You see the characters on the subways. You see the people don't really feel safe anywhere. That's why as bad it was in the 70s or 80s, <clears throat> you know, they were, uh, you know what neighborhoods to stay out of. You know what streets to stay away from. Now, there's no place where you can be, uh, have any reasonable guarantee of being safe at all. So that, I would say the mayor, keep doing what he's doing, but do more and be more critical of the people who are blocking us. I know he needs money for education, for health care, all of that from the state. But the fact is, you see all the people that are moving out of New York. I thought one of the most interesting statistics, I guess it was the New York Times, that in the last 10 years, 200,000 African-Americans have moved out of New York, and they're moving back down south. Now, talk about a reversal of history. Wow. And because basically uh, it's often in those neighborhoods, the lower-income neighborhoods, that the crime is that it, you're more rampant than ever, and the families who suffer the most, the people who live in those communities. So it's supposed to be done all this, you know, tying the hands of the cops in the uh, interest of civil rights, and the people being hurt the most are those who uh, these people claim to be helping. It's funny that you say that, um, Peter. Jennifer Harrison from Victims Rights New York here. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Um, It's funny that you say that because Latrice Walker, who is an assemblywoman representing parts of New York City, actually equated the victims' rights movement to the KKK. And I find that hard to believe. Um, You know, she's calling me a racist for wanting the bad guys to be locked up a little bit longer and to try and prevent some of these deaths that are happening um, when most of the communities that are being affected are the black community. Absolutely. I would say 80 to 90 percent of African-Americans who are murdered are murdered by other African-Americans. The crime rate is higher. And again, we're talking about the 99 percent of the good people living in these communities. They're the ones who are suffering before. Rudy Giuliani and Bill Bratton come in. There was over 2,000 murders a year in New York. The overwhelming majority of those people being killed were African-Americans. And you think all the good years of uh, Giuliani, of Bloomberg, of uh, uh, you know, Bill Bratton, Ray, Ray Kelly. During those years, think of the thousands and thousands of lives that were saved. And 80% of those were African-Americans. So there's thousands of African-Americans alive today because of these KKK tactics they're talking about. Now, when Ray, Ray Kelly left uh, uh, police commissioner after 12 years, he was considered, now they look back on this as the reign of terror when the cops were terrorizing everyone. He had favorable ratings over 70% in the African-American community. So the people who live there, and again, you know, to get 70% from any community is a lot in politics, believe me. But to be the police commissioner, where you know, cops are out there, unlike firefighters who are... Uh, rescuing people, the, what, what people see cops doing is locking people up. So it generates a certain hostility, even though by locking people up, they're saving lives. But it's not as directly obvious. And yet with all of that, Ray Kelly had a, over 70 percent favorable approval rating in the African-American community. So the people who live there like what the cops are doing, not the politicians and the, you know, those who go on television or the Al Sharptons of the world. You should never be surprised, I guess, Peter King, when you see a story that involves corruption in and around Joe Biden and the Biden family. Today's New York Post to cover. Company paid James Biden, that's Joe's brother, for 2012 Saudi negotiations. Quote, they dare not stiff Veep's kin, supposedly upwards of $140 million. 
a million, I should say, in this deal with the Saudis. So we know, of course, about Hunter Biden. We know that Joe Biden's been named big guy. His brother James has come up in the Hunter Biden laptop stories as well. What about this latest story, James Biden and the Saudis? Jim, it's hard to even keep track of all these stories. They come out <laughs> so often on, on, on the Biden family. And uh, to me, it, it, what I find so frustrating about it, not frustrating, but really annoying, is how the mainstream media writes these off somehow cheap shots against the Biden family, how, uh, you know, poor Hunter Biden is being harassed. Joe Biden is just trying to do the best job he can as president. His, his brother is a hardworking businessman. I mean, there's absolutely none of the anger or the uh, antipathy that you see toward, let's say, the Trump family. My God, every time, uh, you know, some member of the Trump family looks the wrong way, you know, they're calling for a special prosecutor. They're talking about how terrible it is. We know what Biden is, excuse after excuse. And uh, whether it's on that, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the whole thing also, which is now coming out, how actually came out a long time ago, but now it's breaking out more into the open. Like people like General Clapper, who said that they didn't mean to say that somehow the uh, information on uh, Hunter Biden was, you know, Russian disinformation. Exactly that's what they meant. And Joe Biden was saying that during the campaign. I have, you know, 52 uh, you know, intelligence leaders who say that the attacks on my son are part of Russian propaganda. The fact is, it was all true. And the media has never retracted that. And they had to know at the time that that was BS, what those uh, you know, so-called intelligence people were saying. And yet they let him get away with it. And as he was hiding in his basement during the campaign, it's, it's really shameful. It really is. And, you know, I spent all morning because I think it, they made a, a pretty big deal um, with General Flynn about him being registered as a, I forget the exact terminology, but a lobbyist for a foreign agent. And I can't find anywhere that uh, Joe Biden's brother is registered as a lobbyist for a foreign agent. Yeah, I don't know if they have or not, but the fact is, why would any of these countries be hiring him if they were not Bidens? I mean, what expertise did Hunter Biden ever show about Ukraine or energy that would enable him to get, what, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars you know, from Ukraine, from uh, and then you know, his family with Russia and Saudi Arabia? No, this is all influence peddling, and, uh, and it's done at such a level that uh, if it was anyone else, the best thing that happened to Joe Biden was having Donald Trump elected president because that meant that whatever Biden Biden family did would never be covered. So long as you know, uh, the media could attack Trump, they were happy. Let's uh, go back to Donald Trump. You just mentioned him, Peter. You've been uh, pretty vociferous, if you will, very opinionated about Donald Trump and his run in 2024 while saying very good things about Donald when he was president back uh, four years ago. Right. Now Nikki Haley jumps in yesterday and Look, I had this discussion with Brian Kilmeade earlier today. I can't get excited about any of these people because I truly believe, and I believe very, very strongly, it's a two-man race. Haley has no shot. Tim Scott, Pompeo, you can name a thousand people, good people, good Republicans. They don't have a shot against these two mammoths, Donnie and Ronnie, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. But what are your thoughts on Nikki Haley jumping into the race? Yeah, here's where I disagree with you. If you go back and look at the polls, whether it was Jimmy Carter or George McGovern, uh, no one thought they had a chance. They were like a one and two percent in the beginning. We, we don't listen right now. If Ron DeSantis runs a strong race in the primary, if he shows he can handle you know, the national scene, yeah, he has an excellent chance of defeating Trump and, and becoming a nominee. But you don't know until the bell rings how how these contenders are going to do when they leave the environs of their own state and they're actually out in the national media. I mean, people who just collapsed overnight. Jeb Bush was supposed to win. 
in 2016. Muskie was supposed to win in uh, you know 1972, and they were knocked out by the first or second primary. You just don't know. Listen, Rudy Giuliani, I was very involved in Rudy's campaign for president, and throughout 2007, that whole year before, he was by far, no one was close to him in the polls. And yet, just the way the primaries were laid out and the circumstances, Rudy was gone by Florida. So you just don't know. So, and Nikki Haley, I've worked with her somewhat. I, I've gotten to know her. She can be a very effective candidate. It's going to be up to her to show. But I wouldn't write her off. I mean, she was U.N. ambassador. She handled herself very well in the media. And uh, to be honest with you, when she was first picked as U.N. ambassador, I didn't know, you know what, what the talent she really had. She was governor of South Carolina, and that was it. At the U.N., she did a phenomenal job. And uh, I know that even though there's probably going to be some harsh words between them now, that President Trump had a great respect for. I remember when he, President Trump came up to a Brentwood on MS-13 uh, to basically turn that around. Uh, on, the, on the plane, it was Nikki Haley. She, she flew up with us on the plane. That was the respect the president had for her. He really relied on us. So don't, don't sell her short. Said. And again, she, she's in much better shape now than Jimmy Carter was yeah. at this time in 1975. Good point. Um, while we have you here, I wanted to ask you about Congressman Garbarino. There's a lot, there are a lot of mixed feelings. Sid and I were talking about it before. He, I, I don't think that he's really a Garbarino fan. I think he's a great guy. He's a lot of fun to hang out with. And I wanted to ask you, because you represented that district for so long, um, I think part of the problem might be that that district was so moderate for such a long time that he, you know, and he has to be, your job as a congressman is to represent the people in your district, not your party. So do you think that that might have had anything to do with it and that he might be able to vote a little bit differently now that redistricting made it a little bit more red? First, I didn't see anything wrong with his votes. The one that they talk about was the infrastructure bill. He would have been crazy to vote against that. I mean, that was the first time ever that Long Island and New York got their fair share of federal funding over the years. As Moynihan used to point out, we we're always being shortchanged. I don't know what other votes you know, they're talking about. He's done an excellent job. The police fully support him, the military, on every key vote he's been there. And again, some people try to point out the infrastructure. I thought it would have been not just politically wrong, but philosophically wrong. Why shouldn't Long Island get the same percentage of funding back that states throughout the South and the West have gotten for years when New York was always being shortchanged? We were getting, I don't know what it was, 70, 80 cents back on the dollar, and the Carolinas were getting 120% back on it. No, he, I think Andrew's done a great job. I stand with him all the way. I support him in the primary. He won big. He won big in the general election. And I don't think his record is moderate. I think it's certainly right of center. And certainly on the key issues of crime and defense, he's been very strong. Talking about doing a great job, that just now, Peter King, for the last 10 minutes, that was an amazing job. As always, showing a big on a Wednesday, hitting a home run. As we get ready, Peter, for baseball, pitchers and catchers for the Mets tomorrow. (laughs) I tell you, I I can't wait. To me, there's nothing like baseball. I totally agree. The smell of the grass, that sunshine, the whole thing, nothing like it. Hey, Pete, great job today, buddy. I love you. Thank you very much. We'll do it again. All right, take care. Thank you. You got it. Peter King right there on Sitting Friends in the Morning. Nice job. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GoboLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident.